learning happens when all things come together and what can only be described as perfect chaos. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Perfect Chaos Podcast. It's Rhonda and David. Together we make up the Perfect Chaos team. Perfect Chaos not only represents how we started this, but also who we are. Rhonda is an assistant professor of education at a local university, and David is program director and professor at a nearby community college. Our backgrounds are diverse, ranging from sociology, criminal justice, fire and emergency medical services, to emergency management, and together, education. And this comes together into our perfect chaos. We hear all the time about the teacher shortages across the U.S., but let's really take a look at that. Do we really have a shortage of teachers? What do the number of licenses tell us? And how do we work towards solving the problem? We'll be right back after this discussion, after these messages from our sponsor. We are Rhonda and David, and this is our perfect chaos. So when we take a look at this topic, I think across the United States, uh, we could really strike through the term teacher and really just talk about shortages. But because of our role here on the Perfect Chaos podcast, we're looking solely at education. So we're talking about a teacher shortage. So just with a simple question to start this off, do we have a shortage? Um, I think I don't know that that is a simple question, to be totally honest with you. If we look at the numbers, okay, and uh, I pulled numbers from uh, the IS, which is governmental uh, educational statistics. Those are the ones that I pulled. Uh, now, I will give it that this particular set of numbers was comparing 2017-2018 to 2013-2014 uh, in Michigan. Uh, and I did that because I did not want to pull our state. I felt like that was maybe not in the best interest of anybody involved. So we're going to look at Michigan as a sampling, uh, knowing that Michigan has some other stuff going on. Uh, this is, but this is from the Michigan Department of Education. Now, anecdotally, before I look at numbers, I can tell you from sitting in meetings we have enough licensed teachers to do the job. Do we have a shortage? We don't have a shortage of licenses. What we have a shortage of is people that are willing to use that license and go teach in a public school. So I think that's the other thing we have to keep in mind is that as we look at this, we're looking at numbers of teachers, teacher licenses in the public school system. Okay. And it's not necessarily just a super easy, oh, well, this is obviously we have a teacher shortage. Well, yes, I'll agree with that, that we have a teacher shortage based on we don't have enough people willing to be teachers in public schools right now. Uh, I know that from how many job embedded students I have. I know that from how many phone calls I get uh, from principals and HR departments where they're looking for schools. That's just it. Yes, we have a shortage of people that are willing to do it. And then you could even, and then you can even take a look on top of that. That it's not even just those local conversations. There, we we you and I have had a lot of conversations here recently about initiatives that are going on from the state level as well as those are going on from the federal level. So this isn't, as you said, you kind of took a, another state to come out of I where we are because state. we're involved here. And so there's a lot of conversation. So taking a look outside is, is the, but I think that's something that you really need to look at as well. When you take a look at, even if it's our state, but you know, Michigan is doing the same thing. Kentucky's doing the same thing. California's doing the same thing. Washington's doing the same. Everybody's talking about those in K-12 education, having an issue getting people in the classrooms. Right. And this is this is even technically pre-COVID times. Right. Just exacerbated by 
the pandemic that's going on right now as Correct. well. Or I, I guess, really, you know, it's not necessarily exacerbating. It's just accelerating a lot it of this. It is accelerating. Because of a lot of Which different topics. Which is another reason why I did not pull Tennessee's numbers. Uh, Tennessee, admittedly, um, there are, there's a lot of controversy surrounding COVID protocol in schools, surrounding what, what could be happening, what people think should be happening, what is happening, what is allowed to be happening, those types of things. And I didn't, you know, I've said all along, I really try hard not to get political. So that's the other reason why I've pulled another state's numbers um, is because I think that we are all educated humans. Uh, I know I know we are. I think our listeners are educated humans, too. Uh, I don't think that it, I don't think I need a data point to back up that any shortages that existed in 1718 are being exacerbated and accelerated by the pandemic. Right. Uh, and I don't, <laughs> all we got to do is look around for that. Um, schools are closing and having to close, not necessarily because students have it, but because they don't have subs. Uh, and not just subs for teachers, subs for bus drivers. A local school system was closed two weeks ago because they didn't have any substitute bus drivers. And they were and they were actually talking about they had implemented uh, licensure policies for some of their central office staff to take place in the time. Right. You know, they have a, a short, you know, I've somebody talked, call out. But I've talked to many teachers recently. I've talked to many coaches recently, um, especially those coaches of smaller teams like um, – a softball coach, a soccer coach, things like that, where they've gone and gotten their bus driver's license so that they could drive the bus for their team sports. And they are being called upon, tasked, deployed, whatever word you want to use. Uh, they're going to pick up kids in the morning on a bus because they have a bus driver's license. Uh, so, you know. I, and this one institution, his HR director slash uh, law director, and uh, their maintenance director were licensed and right. they were on the road both in the morning and the afternoon. So. Right. So, I mean. So we pulled those. You, you pulled those out of there taking and, and actually took out <coughs> the numbers associated with COVID so we could take a look at a period of time that's not in a right. normal environment. Right. I, I want us to, to think about this in a normal environment, uh, not necessarily a just a pandemic world um because one way or another we have to come out of the pandemic world uh, I, I mean the way everything is currently happening can't it's not sustainable in any way now i'm not saying i know what the answer to come out of that pandemicness is but what we're doing right now is not sustainable um and i think we're all I think we all know that, uh, looking around in our classrooms. So let's take a look at the first set of numbers uh, that you have included here. Again, uh, taking a look at those uh, 1718 numbers uh, in between 1314 and 1718, it breaks it down into a couple different categories. So what do these numbers actually show, and then what do they mean? So what I thought was very interesting when I pulled these numbers... Um, out of 141,810 certified teachers in Michigan, okay, like I said, I did use Michigan, um, there were 80,558 of those 141,000 that were teaching in 2017-2018. Out of that, you know, we can break it down into percentages, 75.8% were male, 24.2% were female, um, sorry, flip that. 75.8% were male, 24 point... Blah, I can't talk. 75.8% are female and 24.2% are male. Holy cow. Oh, bless. It's going to be a day. I can feel it. All right. Um, when we look at racial and ethnic minority, 8.5% answered yes, they were from a racial or ethnic minority group. 91.5% answered no. 20.4% were younger than 35. 79.6% were 35 or older. This is a very interesting statistic to me. Out of those 80,558 people that were teaching, 
94.3% of them, 94.3% of them had a valid teaching license. The other 5.7% were teaching on an expired license. Now, keep in mind, we got 141,810 certified teachers in Michigan. 80,558 out of that 141,000 are actually teaching in a classroom in 1718. And 5.7% of that is on an expired license. When we looked at the certification grade band, um, 58% of the teachers were elementary school teachers. 40.9 were secondary teachers. And then it says 1.1 they were missing data on. Uh, I'm not... So more than likely they just missed a question, didn't feel like answering a right. question about when Something they... Something along Or they probably taught, may have taught both at some point. But if you look, that leaves a little over 60,000 teachers, licensed teachers, certified teachers that were not teaching. So out of that 60,000 plus, 18,367 of them had taught at some point since 2013-14. So sometime between 1314 and 1718, they had taught. Perhaps they taught 1314, 1415, 1516. I don't know. I did not, I didn't go that deep into the data. What I thought was interesting, 42,885 certified teachers had not taught at all since 2013-14. Now, it would be easy for us to say, oh, well, those are all the ones they've retired, their licenses are expired. 51.5% of that 42,885, so a little over 21,000, around 22, somewhere in there, was, teaching, was not teaching and had a valid teaching license, an active teaching license. That, to me... Tells us a lot. So those those really are the ones we want to focus on. Right. So on this same grouping of people, out of those same people that uh, were surveyed that had taught in 2017, 2018... The next thing I looked at was reasons they were not teaching in 2019-2020. Now, remember, when did the pandemic hit? March of 2020. March of 2020, okay? So this was done before pre-pandemic. I just want that out there, that none of this, as we talk through this, none of this includes pandemic knowledge. Um. I, don't. I mean, you, you're thinking really, I mean, at the very tail end, you may have a month and a half, but most of the time, the majority of these would be set Correct. Through, through that period, of, through that academic period. Correct. Um, and it says that this particular survey was administered between December 2019 and January 2020. So all of these respondents, all of these people that had taught in 1718 that were not <coughs> teaching in 1920, there were 9,482 non-teaching certified teachers. All right, so this particular survey that I looked at and this data, it was to look at the reason that the survey respondents most frequently selected as to why they were not teaching. Okay, there are three most important reasons. So number one reason right off the bat should come as no shock to anybody in education, they want a higher salary. Which I actually find that one kind of interesting. You know, we're, we're going to go over it. When you take a look at most surveys that are out there, money kind of hits individuals in the second, third, maybe even fourth point. Uh, so anytime that something is that much higher than some of the rest of these, because uh, there are, I think, nine of them, maybe 10 uh, on this list. Uh, for it to be... There's 10 on the list, and 33.1% wanted a higher salary. And and really, other than number two, and even number three, number three is a, a really... Number one is about twice as high as number three. Uh, probably about uh, one and a half for 
number two and the rest of them really it's about three times that uh so you know that that speaks volumes right it does it absolutely does because most of the time teachers walk into this profession knowing what they're going to make they're not going to walk out of a teaching profession millionaires right and i mean you know i i used to teach foundations of education i'm not teaching it this semester i will teach it again next semester uh if my if my load allows it my uh, faculty workload um but, you know, that's one of the things we hit. It's one of the things I talk about even in educational technology. Um, you know, in my program, we put a lot of emphasis on um, being called, being caring, and being competent. With a lot of that emphasis on being called. This, you can't be a successful teacher if that's not what you're called to do. Right. Um, you know, and so we have that conversation regularly. I... I am very much a realist. Uh, I told them just a couple weeks ago, we were two days into class and talking about why we wanted to be teachers. And, you know, they all laugh. Everybody laughs because I'm the blunt kid, right? But my blunt way of putting it is, if you walked into my classroom because you want to be a teacher because you think you're going to be rich or because you're real excited about working eight to three Monday through Friday with a month off at Christmas and three months off in the summer and not ever having to work weekends, see you by, you need to go choose a different major. Because we know that in no realm of education, pre-K through 12, higher ed, post-doc, it it doesn't matter. There is no world of education where we're working eight to three Monday through Friday (laughs) with no weekends, no nights, and no summer work. It just doesn't happen. So it... It is very interesting to me that 33.1% of these non-teaching certified teachers are not teaching because of the salary. That they knew, I mean, they knew going in. Now, I'm, y'all, I'm not picking on them because I'm not saying, well, you knew it going in. Why are you whining about it now? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that they knew it on the front end still chose to go into the profession and it is the r- main reason why they have left it. And, and you know, the funny thing is it's, it's a regular topic area for pretty much all levels. The, the teachers discuss it. The administrators talk about it. The district administrators talk about it. City councils, county commissions, state officials, federal officials, all. It's talked about across the board. So Now, number two, actually surprises me a little bit as well. Really? It does. Number two is maybe the only statistic uh, that gives me hope that that we're talking about. Well, um, the, the reason why is, to me, that just means there's also a lot of turnover in this position or these positions. Okay, so, and, and so that's why it kind of surprises me. So reason number two, with 22.3% of the non-teaching certified teachers is that they were not teaching because they became an administrator or an instructional leader. So we know just by the hierarchical hierarchical nature of education, uh, you know, there's a large base of teachers, there's a smaller base of instructional support or instructional leaders, and even smaller principal assistant principal roles. Right. So um usually within a school you have i mean smaller schools rural districts have small teachers uh, uh, amounts but uh, when you go to some of the larger groups you know you have several teachers to one principal right and so the fact that this is that this took 22 percent of those out of that teaching area meant that there was a relatively high turnover at that administrative level possibly The other thing that it could be, though, and I, maybe this is why I took it more as a, as well, I took it more as a positive for two reasons. A, that meant that 22.3% of these non-teaching certified teachers were still in the field of education. Um, and that's a, that's a really good thing. That, I mean, you they're know, still there. Right. They They have not said see you bye because if they were gone the whole field then that would create an even greater correct um but the other thing that i see in that is because it's including that instructional leader my hope and i admittedly did not dig 
far enough to go find it. Um, because it wasn't really what this particular podcast is about. But my hope was that that is because we're recognizing the need for more non-administrative instructional support. Things like um, the district that I came from, we had TPAC coaches, right, that were there to help us with our pedagogy, with being a better teacher. Uh, those curriculum advisors, those... That's what I'm hoping when I see that instructional leader piece. That's what I hope is that it may not necessarily be a turnover thing as much as it is the creation of new positions for things like instructional technologists, for things like a district level support person uh, for curriculum. You know, most of your especially your smaller school districts, you may have a district level person for K-5 and a district level person for 612, a district level person for SPED, but there's not like a district level social studies person. So my hope was that some of that instructional leader piece was that. Um, so I actually kind of took that as a, as a positive. Um, it could certainly be a lot of turnover, too. I mean, I'm not. Well, and, and I think over the last few years, uh, we've seen a lot of new positions that have been created as, to, to help support the teachers because out of a lot of surveys and such, that was one of the things. Is, right. You know, we are spending so much time. And as we've talked about on here, some of the um, other areas that we're actually going to get to on this list as well. Right. Uh, you know, you don't really have a planning period. Right. You, you have a time to grade and, and do something else and, you know, Correct. step away for just a minute. So, um, you know, so growing as an individual, like you said, the TPAC coaches, the ones that are helping you become a better teacher. Uh, it, it's if you had to do it by yourself, you're going to lose out on a lot of those opportunities. So. All right. So number three on this list was. 15.8% of these teachers or these non-teaching teachers wanted more career growth opportunities. And that one to me is very telling because we do know there are a limited number of administrative positions and not everyone, myself included, wants to be an administrator. But it did want some career growth. So this this is, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of take this out of education real quick. And some of our listeners are crossover from my side as well. But this is kind of what I'm thinking that, you know, in the law enforcement side, one of the things you tend to see is until you go take the sergeant's exam or if you go to the officer side, lieutenant, captain, etc. When you're a police officer, you're a police officer. But there are several that are, have come into that and said, OK, but within that, we have police officer one, police officer two, police officer three, police officer four. And then you can, you know, then you can look at doing the others and, and you could do them earlier. But if you stay at that level on the street, in this case, teaching, uh, you can meet certain criteria, uh, time and tenure, uh, professional development or something like that. And you could tear up. Right. Um, and and to me, it's almost even if we were to use your police example. Um, dig into my CJ roots a little bit. Even at that level, there's opportunity for growth. You can become a detective. Right. You can be on the narc squad. You can be, you know, a forensic technician. You know, there are other things that you can add to that. You can be on, on the motorcycles. There are some ways to advance your career without necessarily going to administration. In education, when you say, I want to advance my career, the easy, and by easy, I don't mean easy, but the easy peasy answer is, oh, you want to be a principal. Well, no, not necessarily. I will be the first to tell people I've never in my life had a desire to be a principal. At any level. Um, I did want to grow in my career. I wanted to be a leader in my field. But I don't want to be a principal. I like being in the classroom. 
that's where I feel a sense of fulfillment. So I do think that's a very interesting piece to look at is what career growth opportunities are there within a district for teachers without having to go to the administrative level, without having to come out of the classroom. Um, and I do think that's very telling. You know, I'll, and I'm not saying that there's not growth opportunities out there. There are. But I feel like a lot of those growth opportunities perhaps happen when you go look for them on your own. They may not be in your district. You know, it's do, it's doing the presentations. It's going to the conferences. It's it's those things that are outside of your your normal scope. Um, so if you want growth, you have to go hunt growth. And I don't know. I think that's very interesting that that's the third highest. Um, after that one, you see a fairly significant drop. You see a f almost five point drop. Um, 11% were not teaching because they were taking courses to improve career opportunities within education. I found that one kind of interesting. I've, I've been looking over that since uh, we put this in here and took courses. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, you see educators continuing to do what they do and take classes. So, you know, this would be ones that I guess would have to would be taking classes that would normally be during a classroom time. So they'd have to right. be gone for a semester or something. Like that, right. So. Or they may be they may have to move to, for a certain program. Um, that's kind of what I take from that. 10.4% could not obtain a full-time position. So here's what I see when I see that. And this comes from being somebody that was what I always called a lone wolf teacher. I was the only one in the building teaching what I taught. Now, I luckily, by design, however you want to, whatever you want to call it, I had enough students to keep all my classes full. But that's not always the case. Sometimes we just need one or two blocks out of a four-block day. Okay, so we'll hire somebody half-time. Sometimes we'll hire two people to teach one block a day or three people to teach one block a day, which would be one full-time position. But why would the district hire three people to teach one block a day instead of one person to teach three blocks? Because in this case, you don't have to pay them benefits. You don't have to provide them with a lot of different things that you have to provide that full-time employee. And so let me go back to my favorite television show. Oh, my word. We're talking about West Wing again, aren't we? West Wing again. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is something that they, that they were talking about there as well. You know, they were getting ready to have a trucker shortage or a, a trucking strike. And they made mention of this and they said, you know, they have the full-time employees who, deserve, or who receive top-tier benefits and salaries. And then they have the part-time or newer de facto full-time employees that were working full-time hours, but they were placed on the title part-time because they could get by without paying those benefits. And so in this, you know, you see that a lot of times and, hey, let's do this. And because instead of now 50000 that we have to pay somebody, you're paying 100000 50000 in salary, 50000 in benefits, or I can take that 50000 spread it through three people, and I pay $50,000. Right. So I do find that one, especially considering we're talking about a teacher shortage, I do find it interesting. I wonder, and I did try to find the data and could not find it, but I wonder how many schools, school systems are out there with a teacher shortage that is being made worse because they won't, don't want to hire somebody full-time because they want to hire two part-time people instead. I could be wrong. Uh, maybe that's not happening as much as I think, but I have a feeling that that is an issue. Um, or we just want to hire an interim or, you know, whatever. So, and that's, that's where we need to take a look at getting creative because we do know in some of the smaller districts, you may have a school that only has a need for one. Right. But is there a second school in that district in which it has well, the same thing? Or I mean, the district that our kids have gone to 
all their lives. The only school district our kids have ever gone to. If you remember in elementary school, when Alyssa was in elementary school, the music teacher was did one semester at that school and one semester, one semester at another, another school. school. And the music teacher and the art teacher swapped at mm-hmm. Christmas. You know, I, I mean, that's a very real thing because it was two yeah. smaller elementary schools. Um, but that way they were both employed full time. And they weren't doing the because a lot of times when uh, districts try to get creative, they'll say, "Oh yeah, we we can make a full time position in these two different schools. We need you to be spend the first half of the day at one school and the second half at the other." Okay, well that's really kind of difficult, right? So how much? Because most of these schools aren't right next door to each other. No, or, you know they're they're no. A distance I mean apart. these two were across the county from each other, right? Which granted, we live in a small county, so don't anybody get up in arms. It was still like twenty minutes max, but it it's the point of having to make that commute in the middle of the day, that kind of thing. But that that goes back to number one in itself, and the fact that you know, and I would venture to say if we took a look at those higher salaries higher salaries is one thing but I think it's a better pay package right which we're going to get to which we're going to get to all right don't get ahead of me all right so the next one with 9.9 percent want a more flexible schedule now I know that I don't have to say this because I think most of the people that listen to our podcast are educators what I don't think people that are not educators in a P-12 setting, the thing that I don't think they understand as much, and this even goes for college educators in higher ed, higher ed is a pretty flexible schedule for the most in part. general. Um, but when you're teaching in a P-12 school, there is no flexibility. For you to take a day off, you got to find somebody to work for you and plan the day out and give them all the needed materials. There is not a whole lot of, oh my gosh, my kid's sick. You know, um, anecdotally, I can remember listening to a podcast about education and they were talking about, you know, why do teachers not use subs? Well, because this is the only profession where you have to work harder to take a sick day than to actually work, than to actually just go in sick. Right, which brings us to a whole other problem that we cannot get into today. Right. But I do think that's and so, needing a more, I mean, because if you look at it, for 180 days, 200 days really, uh, even though some of those are without students, you can't make a doctor's appointment. You can't go to the dentist. You can't buy a house because you can't get to the bank during banker's hours. So, and this is uh, quite interesting because... You know, like in our area, it is commonly, you know, mine was always 8.30 to 3.30, and, you know, they ate, you know, the times adjusted. But the time that I was in Arizona, we actually swapped that completely, and it was 7.20 to 2.20. Right. Now, there's a couple different reasons, and part of it was, believe it or not, that. Now, if you talk to most people out there, it's because they got uh, all the buses and kids back to the house before the 120 degree temperatures but right. <clears throat> but when you take a look at it those teachers typically were able to finish their stuff and they still had about an hour Where of the day that they could go to the bank they could go to the correct you know, they could do a you know a doctor's appointment or they could do a lot and the, you know I don't think it's changed dramatically since then I remember talking to the math teacher and uh, you know they, they weren't as Big on number one, where where I was there, but um, because of that, you know the the flexibility of the schedule itself, you know, is seven twenty to two twenty every day. You know, right. you know, but you had some opportunities to do what you needed to without having to. Right. Well, I mean, and how many uh, friends do we have that are that are P twelve teachers that you know every year around Christmas and every year around May. You start hearing them talk about how they took their class to the eighth grade graduation because their child was graduating eighth grade, and it was during the school day. Right. And that's the only way they got to see it. You know, or they took their child to the school musical because, or they took their class to the school musical, whatever. Um, you know, so I, I definitely understand that one. 
Um, only 9.8% of these 9,842 people had left the classroom because they had difficulty managing a classroom because of discipline. Now, I think a lot of times we hear a lot about classroom management, about, oh, there's so many discipline pro- discipline problems. But, I mean, less than 10%. Uh, you know, it's interesting. This is the one that uh, I think gets talked about the most because everybody can kind of relate. We create and see this environment through social media, and we, we've talked a lot about that. But um, when you take a look at it, that's the interesting topic that you can have. Well, and, and that's also the only one. If you look at the the things that we've listed so far, that's the only one that's seen by anybody outside of the teacher. Right. The kids see it. They right. go home and tell their parents about it. The parents are talking. You know, there's not a school child alive unless their parents are teachers and they've overheard them talking about it that really truly recognizes about the salary or about the flexible schedule you know but that even with the difficulty in classroom management the difficulty in discipline even with that being the really the most public problem that we see it still just accounts for 10% and I mean, on, that means only ten percent of it of these people listed it in their top three. So that says a lot to me. And um, really, to me, the next one does as well. Right. So the next one also at nine point eight percent is that they considered the school leadership support inadequate. The teacher will say something about the, the principal or the you know they don't have their back, and uh, but that's another one that kind of gets talked about. Right. And students do as well, you know, oh, right. this principal's so bad, and, well, and whether they are or not. And I will funny. say, so one of my friends on Facebook that I have known legitimately for over 20 years, he made this post today. I'm not going to say who he is because I have not talked to him and asked if I could share this. So I'm just, I just want to read this post that he made three hours ago. Um Public school systems could recruit and retain the best teachers. Ooh, where did it go? If the compensation packages were on par with other professions requiring similar education, training, and ongoing education, and if the education profession were not vilified at every turn by profiteers and politicians. I just think that's very interesting. And the reason I mention it in this school leadership support we all know we have school leadership that has come from within the school or within a school system or within the educational system. And then we have the political school leadership. And I wonder, uh, now granted, he's looking at it with a 2021 viewpoint, not an early 2020 viewpoint. But I wonder how much of that school leadership support is the within the school versus the outside of the school leadership well, support. And so that would be very interesting. So, you know, we, you see it commonly when, whether they're part-time or full-time <laughs> legislatures come together. One of the biggest areas that gets focus on in the media, in, uh, in their meetings and everything is education. How do we fund education? How do we make education better? How and do we fix it? How do we fix it? And so, but the problem is, is, is what is broken? And, Correct. And we know that when it comes to it, a lot of these come up because so many of the constituents in their areas are parents. And with parents come with kids, and kids bring conversational points. And well, we want our kids to be better than we are, and so to do that, they have to have good education, and to correct. do that, we have to to fix what bad education is. But I think it's also... Quit saying we need to fix it. <clears throat> Fixing it says it's broken. How can we improve it? Everybody's up for improvement. I don't know of anybody that does not need to be improved upon. Anywhere. I don't think any of us will ever say that we're perfect. But if you look... 
It's how can we improve this system? How can we improve that system? How can we get better at this? How can we get better at that? How can we fix education? Because we always, you know, those always come along with those standardized tests that we've talked about before that uh, <laughs> over the last couple of years have been, you know, a, a big deal here. Uh, right. And because we don't score a certain point on there, education is broken. Now, right. there's a lot of conversational topics on the federal level about what teachers are teaching. And, you know, uh, there's conversation about Common Core and, all, you know, all these different things. But the the thing is, we want to be better. And so, right. you know, that, but better is a collaborative, you know. Right. And fix, I do think. Fixes have somebody come in and do something, but. You know, you we've know, talked lots of we've talked a lot about thinking about how you say things and how you approach people. Let's quit saying we need to fix education. Let's just throw that out there. If you are a politician, stop saying you need to fix it. Until you've sat in a classroom, you don't know that it's broken. There you go. That's my soapbox for the day. I'll try to stay off of it the rest of the time. <coughs> so the next one that popped up here is uh, needed to care for children. Uh, I don't think you can pull that out uh, anywhere. You know, that's going to happen. You know, a child gets sick. A child comes to life. Uh, you know, <laughs> a child comes a to child, life. A child comes to life. A child is born. Is, I guess, that the sounds way to like say that. some Halloween Rocky <laughs> Horror Picture Show. We, we are coming up deal. to uh, Halloween, uh, but a child is born. You know, there, there's many different things in which teachers, and because you know, if you go back up to the the top numbers, you know, there is a you know really three fourths of the educational numbers that we talk are certified <laughs> teachers that are teaching are females, and when you take a look at their age, you know, there there is a large contingent of them that are over 35 but if you take a look at that number and i'd love to get down in the brackets but you have a lot that end up having children that are out for x period of time so that one's that one's there the last one is kind of surprising because this is another one when you talk to teachers like oh i've got bus duty or i've got lunch duty or i've got got paperwork i've got you know i've got paperwork and you know and so only 9.7 percent of the people Indicate that they've left because they spend too much time on paperwork or other duties, non-instructional duties. Uh, and I thought that number uh, was quite specific, uh, or not specific, quite interesting in the fact that you hear a lot of people talking about it, but it doesn't necessarily drive them away. So with all these numbers, the question is, are you surprised by this? Um, yes and no. <coughs> There are some things about this that I don't want to say surprise. There are some things about this that maybe didn't end up where I would think they would end up. Well, and, and for me, when you take a lot of these numbers, uh, you know, we implement or, or take a look at them in comparison to Maslow's hierarchy. A lot of the things that we take a look at, that individual security, you know, the things that help us as teachers are, are not necessarily the ones that we see in here. The, the higher salary is there. You know, that's going to provide the security and comfort uh, that is identified in, in the hierarchy. Um, and some of them that are, you know, promotional opportunities. Uh, but it, it's kind of interesting the way all of these break down. But ultimately, I don't think any of these, because, you know, I, I think the interesting part to all of it is, you know, they don't get into teaching just by going through a class. Um, most of them, even your job embedded, they come back for uh, educational opportunities and they're in the classroom and being mentored. And, but most of them have been in a classroom, so they understand every single one of these. And so when they go, I want to be a teacher, it's not like they're walking in blind, you know. Right. It's not like we just went and filled out a job application at the Walmart. Right. And you're like, to be a hey, cashier. Ha- you know. And, you know, interview I, on the spot. Okay, we'll hire you. And you get hired three weeks before Thanksgiving. Right. And, or you get hired and you don't really know what you're getting into. Right. Uh, so all of a sudden, you know, you're thrust upon these masses of people that are coming through and expecting you to be an expert in your field. Like, you know, you've been through education, you've been the student. Now you're on the teacher side. I mean, many of them have gone through student teacher, student teaching opportunities. Uh, so, the, the part that surprised me is like none of these are new; they they're kind of known. Right. Um, so, 
like I said, are there things in there that surprise me a little bit, but not not a lot. I will say that um, one of the things that I thought was very interesting, as somebody who taught in the world of CTE, which is a, a whole different ball game when we look at things um, as far as paperwork level, that kind of thing, it, the extra duties, the non-instructional duties, at least in this state, and again, these numbers are for Michigan, so I don't know what it looks like in Michigan, but in the state of Tennessee, CTE teachers do have mandated extra duties. Um, a CTE teacher doesn't get the choice of, do you want to be a faculty advisor or not? It's part of the expectation of your job. And it's not, do you want to be a faculty advisor for one of these five things? It's you have to be a faculty advisor with a competition team for the group that is your specialty. Um, be that Skills USA, be that Cyber Patriots, be DECA, HOSA, FFA, whatever it is. At least in this state, that's kind of mandated. So, um, because of that, I, because of my experience with those other non-instructional duties, uh, I found it very, very interesting that that was so low on this particular set of data. So when we were taking a look at this, you know, at 35, a little bit over 35 percent uh, saying they're leaving the profession because of a higher salary need. What is the deal? You know, because one of the things that people don't ever really understand when it comes to the funding of schools, funding of teachers, you know, they, they hear the legislature say, hey, we're putting in this much money and we have this funding. But what is a teacher salary equation? You know, so there's a couple of things, and I admittedly, hope we don't lose people over this, I admittedly am one of those people that looks at the teacher's salary, and if you take out the extra that has to be spent to make a classroom work, if teachers were just paid their salary for what they're paid for, and they didn't have to feed back into their classroom, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. And my reason being, before people start hating on me, is this. Teachers typically, at least around here, are on a 200-day contract. 180 days with kids, 20 days of professional development, in-service, that kind of thing. So what happens is they're given a set amount of money, whatever the salary is, you know, 30, we're going to go with 36000 because it's just a real easy number. It may be lower than that. It may be 30000 We can go 30, we'll go with 30. That actually may be easier. Doesn't matter to me. But when you look at it, that salary is for 200 days. Now, I'm not going to argue the fact that it is for 200, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. days, and none of us ever work 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., totally understand that it is a salary though right. <laughs> and that's how salary works whether that's right or wrong you know we're recording this on labor day which makes this in my mind real interesting. interesting but that pay is for 200 days or 10 months of work what happens is most teachers I shouldn't say most. Some districts give you the option, some don't, of either you can get your 10 paychecks or you can get 12 paychecks. Makes each paycheck smaller, but you get paid all year long. All year long. Um, I personally feel like that should be an option. I, I, I feel like that's not a decision that the district should make. I think that should be up to each individual teacher. Right. That's just my own personal opinion. Um, but... What happens is, if we take, and what I call the teacher salary equation, if we take that 30000 and divide it by the 200 days, and then take it up to what it would be if you were working 40 hours work. a week, you know, 
365 days. 365 days. Right. If you were working, not if that wasn't a 200 day schedule, if you put it to a normal schedule, it actually is not quite as bad as it seems. Now, that being said, two things. A, teaching is the profession that makes all the others. Right. Period. It is. There, there's nothing out there if that you, you can do. If you don't have good math instructors, you don't have good engineers. If I you mean, don't have you know, good science teachers, then that is what it is. Research and healthcare are out the door. You know, so, so I do feel like we got a little bit of discrepancy there. Um, but the other piece is that in no other profession are you paid a salary, but then you have to provide the stuff. Now, everybody has to provide a wardrobe. So mm. we're not going to talk about teacher clothes, right? Everybody's, I shouldn't say everybody. Most people have to provide a wardrobe. Unless you're in like police, fire, EMS, military, you know, typically. <coughs> you get X amount, and if you want anything beyond that, it's up to you. Right. Yes. But for the most part, yeah. outside of those, I'll, I'll call them civil service realm, typically People have to provide their own clothes right. to go to work. Yep. So let's take that one out of the equation. That's something everybody has to do. But there is not, I'm just going to be bold and say it, there is not an office on the planet of a business where the secretary has to buy her own post-it notes. There is not a CEO on the planet that when they get ready to have a meeting or when they want to do a training, if they want there to be food, that they have to purchase it for the people coming to the training. The only time you get into those realms are if you're getting into something that is outside of what they normally provide. So they usually provide for all the normal stuff. Right. But, but if you wanted a super fancy chair, right. you may have to go buy it. But for the most part, they but provide But for the you. most part, you provide Right. When I started teaching public school, I had a table, but if I wanted a desk, I had to bring my own desk. If I wanted a chair, I needed to bring my own chair. Nobody else does that. Nobody else does that. So where the teacher salary equation gets off is there. It's not in the actual salary that's being paid. It's how much of my salary has to go back in to my classroom. Now, I know I've heard the <clears throat> argument before, well, they don't pay to decorate people's offices, except they kind of do. A lot of places do, but that's fine. Let's not talk about decorating the office. Let's talk about the fact that research has shown us, and as teachers, we are evaluated on the environment that we provide to our students. Research has shown us that especially in those younger grades, having all the things and the places and the carpet mats and that that makes a difference to those kids. Okay, so if research is telling us that, why does a kindergarten teacher have to go scour yard sales to get rugs? Right. And spend his or her own money. That, to me, when you look at the teacher salary issue, it is much less about what you're being paid and much more about what you are expected to pay out. We know, we know there's not a teacher alive that does not know that you can't teach hungry kids. Right. But who's going to feed them? And yes, people can argue free and reduced lunch all day long. That's fine. But free and reduced lunch doesn't help me at 10 o'clock in the morning. Right. Or 9 o'clock in the morning. Even if they've managed to get free or reduced breakfast. That doesn't always help if the last meal they had before breakfast was the free or reduced lunch the day before. So that, to me, when we start looking at the salary issue in education, that's what we're looking at. All right. So we have basically an entire another chapter of this that we're going to come back to in our next episode. So let's go ahead and go to our tip of the week. Okay. 
So tip of the week, and it's really funny because I prepped this episode back in July-ish. But we've waited to be able to record until we could have the time to record. So when I did this, I wrote... My tip of the week, start working on your fall classes now. I know it's still summer and we all want some break time, but don't let fall sneak up on you. Uh, And I was talking about how we knew this year was going to look different again than any other year in which we had ever taught. So now I've got to change it because obviously we've all got started. Um, So this is what I will tell you. A lot of us made great plans in the summer for what fall was going to look like. And a lot of those plans have turned out to maybe not be what fall is looking like for one reason or another. Maybe we're not getting a planning period to do the things and set up the things we wanted to do because we're having to cover classes. Maybe we've been in and out from being sick or from taking care of sick children. Maybe our maybe your students are in and out from being sick. Maybe you're having to teach somewhat hybrid but not really hybrid because... You know, we're not doing that this year. Whatever it is, take the plans that you made, that you thought out, that you had so lovingly put your time in over the summer, and you were so excited because this was going to be a normal school year. Don't throw them away. Just put them in a notebook. Give yourself some grace because obviously this fall isn't happening like anybody had planned. So my tip of the week is just remember that the world is not where we thought it was going to be. I've had students tell me in the past week and a half, I did not think it could be worse than it was last year. But at least last year, we were all on the same page when we started. This year, nobody's on the same page. So give yourself some grace and give your kids some grace. Well, I'm going to tag on to that as well. And it's kind of interesting, uh, you know, recording the other podcast I do last night, we were talking about disaster preparedness. And as we talked about that, because September is disaster preparedness month, a lot of people talk about how to make sure that your community is disaster aware and prepared for anything that may come. And it's kind of interesting that, you know, we're in the middle of uh, two hurricanes, you know, I had to just hit. Uh, down in the Gulf and went all the way up through New York. And Larry is in the process of uh, determining where they're going to enjoy the beach, uh, I guess you could say, coming up on the East Coast. Um, But in the midst of all that, we we also have to talk about the preparedness of our practitioners. Um, And these are the ones that are responding to all of those. And so while I don't want to get anybody to think that I'm saying our classrooms are a disaster, taking those disaster preparedness principles in our classrooms are very similar processes. So as we do this, uh, you know, you were talking about a little bit ago the fact that... um, planning for a day off is almost harder than just going in to teach. So taking a look at what that means in our planning and saying, hey, this is plan A for the day. And as you're doing that, and right now, as you have those fall plans, and for the most part, once we get settled into a school, fall pretty much looks very similar. Go ahead and start building out those plans further and saying, all right, this is our plan. This is what we're going to do. But within that... If we have to do something else, because while I never I I don't ever want to use the term new normal, because I do think we will come out of this uh, at some point in time in which either COVID is something we live with on a regular basis and goes through a rotating cycle or it happens to go away, uh, whatever the outcome is. We never know when something is going to affect. You know, we, we take a look at schools closing for flu. And I think, as we've talked about throughout all of this, we have seen that education has changed using alternate technologies or something like that. So build those plans out, make them a little bit more robust, add that secondary and even a tertiary plan to those going, hey, this is what we're going to do if we lose X number of students or even myself. This is what we're going to do if 
we, you know, things completely change and start to think about those second and third uh, plans to those. So, all right, as we conclude today, we'd like to say that we always look forward to recording these episodes and engaging with each of you. However, without your feedback, we don't know what you're thinking. So please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. We always love to get that information. But you can also find out all about us and contact us through our web, the Perfect Chaos website at www.perfect-chaos.org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Perfect Chaos 7 and Instagram at Perfect Chaos 7. And you can also reach us individually at... Uh, on Twitter, I'm at DRR Blevins. And I am at DS Blev. If you're following us on the Anchor FM platform, you can hit the message button and send us a voicemail. And we'd love to include those in our future podcasts. And don't forget to go by The Pursuit Company at www.thepursuitco.com. Click on shop, look under affiliates, and you can find the perfect chaos line of merchandise. Uh, we've got all of our favorite uh, colors there, uh, long sleeve, short sleeve shirts, ready for you to purchase. Uh, the Pursuit Company does a great job, very comfortable gear, and they ship it directly to you. So go to thepursuitco.com. Again, click on shop and go under affiliates and you find the perfect chaos. If you feel led, you can also support the podcast with a small donation. That will be used to expand our podcast capabilities. But until next week, when we go into topic two here of our numbers that we've seen today about the teacher shortage, remain calm in your perfect chaos. Perfect chaos.